Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. For message notes and links to big things going on at Hope, check out the notes section below. When you're done listening to this episode, take a minute to follow us here, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content, additional resources, and more. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Good evening, Raleigh. How we doing? Good. Good. Glad to see you all here. Hey, listen, I want to go ahead and just dive right into this thing tonight. Um, There is an idea that I want to propose to you that we need to get into our heads pretty early on if anything that we talk about here is going to make any sense. Uh, And I think this is important because even if you haven't been to church before, if you're not used to church, I think this is a common uh, question that a lot of people have. It's what's the difference between God and Jesus, right? Uh, and so uh, I want to I share an idea with you that I don't make up on my own. This actually comes directly from Scripture. It's Colossians 1, 15, and it says this. It says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Okay? So I want you to, to actually say that with me. Let's go through it together. The Son is the image of the invisible God. One more time. The Son is the image of the invisible God. That means God, this this person who we talk about every weekend, who we sing songs to, who we read about in the Bible, who we have questions for, who we oftentimes get angry at, right? This God, this invisible God, like the Bible admits, this God is invisible. However, there's a man named Jesus who is God who took on the form of a man. He comes down to earth, lives 100% perfectly as a human, 100% perfectly as God, and he is the image of God. He's the visible image of the invisible God. So this kind of poses another question. Well, what is Jesus like? What does Jesus look like? Because if he's the one that paints the image for us of the heart of God, then it's probably important for us to know what he looks like. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to try to imagine Jesus in your head, okay? Imagine Jesus in your head. Now, I want to know, honestly, how many of you uh, had an image that come to mind that kind of looks like this? Realistically, right? It's a couple of, he's waving his hand back there. Yeah, it's a few, yeah. Uh, Some of you have photos like this in your house. Uh, Maybe your grandma had a photo like this in their house wrapped around a candle or something like that, right? Uh, We have our normal cultural depictions of Jesus uh, from the chosen, uh, from the passion of the Christ. So this is a very common view of what we have of what Jesus looks like. Now, uh, there's nothing wrong with this because uh, it is very common for us to depict Jesus in a way that corresponds most with our culture. And we're not the only ones that do this. As a matter of fact, if you go around the world, uh, we have Korean Jesus. In Korea, this is probably what you would see if you walk into a church hanging on a crucifix. Uh, Next up, we have African Jesus being baptized. This is him in art depiction. We have Native American Jesus. And uh, this next one is probably my favorite. This is Chinese Jesus. Um, 
I'm not like biased towards this one, but I like to call them Chinesis. So it just kind of flows off the tongue. It's really simple. Uh, Jesus with a tagline sort of. Um, here's the thing. Uh, there's, a, this, uh, there's a song by a guy named Andrew Duhon called Everybody Colored Their Own Jesus. And in the song, he talks about going to Sunday school and they pass out a picture of Jesus and all the kids start reaching for the crayons that look the most like them. And then they're the ones who are a little bit impatient. So they just grab the purple one, right? And so everybody, and then some start coloring outside of the lines. Like it's our natural inclination to make up our own depiction of Jesus, oftentimes one that looks most like us. Now, this isn't a racial or even a cultural uh, statement that I'm making. It's one about how we wrap our minds around the God that we can't see. It's how we wrap our minds around the God that we can't see. Now, uh, uh, there's a quote from the old French writer Voltaire that says this. It says, in the beginning, God created man in his own image And man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. This God that's bigger than any box we could potentially put him in, we try our absolute best to do that, right? And so what happens? Well, we end up getting all these different depictions of God that just aren't accurate. Maybe you grew up uh, in the type of environment that told you that God is kind of like this cosmic vending machine. You go up and you push the numbers and whatever you ask for, you'll get it, right? Maybe you have the image in your head that God is this like cosmic judge who's just angry at you and waiting for you to sin so that he can send you to hell, right? Like that's kind of this this really judgmental version of God. Or maybe you don't go to church very often and the reason why you don't is because you're afraid that the Christians, I'm sorry, that the version of God that you will meet there is a lot like the Christians you've met. Maybe hypocritical, maybe judgmental, right? We all have these different ideas. For some of us, the pendulum has swung so far in the opposite direction where we don't necessarily think he's judgmental, but we kind of think, oh, like God's cool with me just the way I am. He has no problem with my sin. He has no problem with any of the decisions that I make, right? God is love. Jesus is my homeboy, right? Remember those bumper stickers? Like that's, that's the depiction that a lot of us have. Now here's the problem with those is that many of us have received a version of God that's been handed down to us and often our faith is just as shallow as that depiction. I'm going to say it one more time. Many of us have received a version of God that's been handed to us, and often our faith is just as shallow as that depiction. But here's the beautiful thing about God, is that he doesn't want our relationship with him to be purely based off of secondhand knowledge not shaped or dictated by uh, uh, the, the people that we listen to the most or sometimes even our church communities. Instead, God says that he wants his, his primary connection that you have with him for, is for, for him to speak loudly and clearly for himself and to introduce himself to you and to allow you to experience him for yourself. This is what makes our faith so beautiful. It's the realization that God desires intimacy with us. And this is a a key idea for us to understand for the rest of our time together is that intimacy is to, to know and to be known. So God's number one desire for you and your relationship with him is for him to know you like all the deep, dark, dirty, despicable stuff and all the good, redeemable stuff and for you to know his heart intimately as well. This is the grand narrative of the Bible, right? 
The whole thing starts and God, he creates this place. He's walking in the cool of day with Adam and Eve in the garden. They're they're in relationship with one another and then sin breaks that. It severs that relationship and then what happens? God goes uh, into overdrive in order to restore that relationship again. It's man and God experiencing intimacy together. Now, how does he do that? We go back to Jesus. God himself gets his sandals dirty. And I love the way that Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in the message translation of the Bible in John 1.14. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes. The one of a kind glory. Like father, like son. That goes back to Colossians. He's the visible image of the invisible God. Generous inside and out. True from start to finish. You see, Jesus reveals to us what God is actually like. But he doesn't just tell us. He actually invites us to experience him for ourselves. And so I want to really talk about this idea of experiencing God because I think it's a part that a lot of us, we miss out on. I think a lot of us assume that, well, because I come to church all the time or because I do the things or because I exclusively listen to Caleb, I have intimacy with God. But let me tell you, proximity does not equal intimacy. Some of you uh, in here, maybe you're a student still in high school, and uh, you spend eight hours a day, nine months a year sitting next to someone, and you don't know anything about them. You wouldn't consider them your friend or anything. Some of you, you go to work, and if I were to give you a pop quiz on the ages of the person you share a cubicle with, you wouldn't be able to tell me. (laughs) Why? Because just because I'm around something all the time doesn't mean that I experience it or get to know it intimately for myself. And unfortunately, the same thing is true for our faith. But the beautiful part is, is that we get to know God. Jesus, he warns us about this facet of Christianity himself and what I think may be the scariest verse in the entire Bible. And I say that not just because the words are scary, which they are, uh, but it's red letter. Like if you start reading through your Bible, you realize Jesus himself said this so we can take it as a fact. In Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? God, I served every Sunday. I w- you knew how much I hated showing up to Kid City, but I was there every week. <laughs> God, even when it rained, I showed up to church. I raised both hands during worship, Right? <laughs> Look at what he says in verse 23. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Did you catch the key word there? He said, I never knew you. This whole thing, it's not about going through the motions. It's not about checking things off of a list. It's about knowing God. So how do we know God? Well, again, we look at Jesus. I want us to take a look at uh, John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. While you're making your way there, I'll kind of set up and give you an idea of what's going on here. Uh, The entire Old Testament uh, follows the nation of Israel. And uh, this nation always finds themselves in trouble. They're usually enslaved to another people group. They are oppressed somehow. They're wandering in the desert. Like it's never good. And they're looking for someone to come and make things right. 
They're looking for a Messiah, and that person is Jesus. Now, for hundreds of years, there have been prophecy, and people have been saying, hey, this guy's coming any day now. Uh, and that, uh, that um, kind of period of prophecy is wrapped up in a guy named John the Baptist. Uh, this is not the same John that wrote the book of John. This guy is Jesus' cousin, uh, and he was a wild dude. Like, the Bible calls him um, uh, uh, a voice crying out from the wilderness. So basically, he would prepare the way, and he would say, hey, Jesus is coming, like the Messiah, the one we've been waiting on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. He's on his way. Get ready. That was his message. And so John the Baptist, he, he started getting a crew. There were some people that started following him because they believed his message and they wanted to be around when everything popped off. And that's where we find ourselves here in verse 35. John 1.35 says, The following day, John was again standing with two of his disciples, so two of his followers. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there's the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. I love, can you just picture the scene in your head? For hundreds of years, people have been saying the Messiah is coming. And so Jesus is just walking along just casually through the, now remind you, like Jesus, like he's grown up. He didn't just pop down some 30-year-old dude. Like he's just been living life. And then one day John goes, hey, get ready. God in human form is coming down. Oh, that's him. So people start following him. And after a while he goes, what do you want? <laughs> now I want to I take a moment and just kind of address the tone here. For us, I want you to imagine somebody's following you around every day. Maybe a little bit awkwardly close, maybe awkwardly far away where you're like, are they following? Aren't they following me? And these two guys, they're asking questions. of Do you think that's him? Did you think that's what he was going to look like? Did you think his hair would be that long? Did you? They're having this conversation thinking they're being secretive, and then Jesus just calls them out, what do you want? <laughs> but it's not this agitated, what do you want? I like the way another translation puts this question. They actually they rephrase it. Jesus is asking them, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? And I want to ask you the same question. What are you looking for? When you encounter Jesus, what are you expecting of him? Because the truth is, is that whichever version of Jesus you're looking for is probably what you can find. I mean, a quick Google search of does Jesus approve of blank will bring you to some blog post that will find a version of Jesus that co-signs on everything you want, right? But I love the way that these guys approach him. They come to him, this is verse 38, the disciples of John the Baptist, they, they come to Jesus and in their requests, Jesus finds out what they're looking for. They reply, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him for the rest of the day. I love this. What do you call Jesus? Like when you think about it, how do you how do you identify Jesus? I think there's some of us who are looking for a version of Jesus that doesn't deliver anything. Like he, he never promised what you're looking for. 
I think some of us are looking at Jesus as this like get out of jail free card to where I know nothing bad will ever happen to me. We're looking at Jesus as this this pillar of uh, health, wealth, and prosperity. Uh, We're looking at Jesus as kind of this political mascot that that, uh, uh, will will, uh, empower our side and, and defeat the other. You know what I'm talking about? But look at the humility that these guys come up to Jesus with. They call him rabbi, which means teacher. We have friend, uh, names for Jesus, right? Oh, Jesus is my friend. He's my savior even. When was the last time you referred to Jesus as your teacher? As the one who led the way and taught you how to live in every single aspect of life. Because that approach is one of humility. That approach is one that doesn't say, you know what the disciples didn't do? They didn't come up to him and say, oh, Jesus, you're the guy? Come with us because we're going to go do this thing and we need you to make sure our team wins. No, instead, they go to where he was staying and they stayed with him all day. And now his agenda became their agenda. And whatever he was obsessed with, that's what they became obsessed with. Because they viewed Jesus as a teacher. As he keeps rolling through the town, the next day he invites another guy named Philip to come and follow him to be one of his disciples. And Philip had a friend named Nathaniel. Uh, And Nathaniel was a little bit um, apprehensive. (laughs) Uh, He was a little bit like, are you sure this is the guy, right? Um, And so we're going to take a look at, at his story and how he came to follow Jesus because I think we can learn some things about the heart of God through that story. John 1, 45 through 46 says this. It says that Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Nazareth. Uh, I'm sorry, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth? exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? That would be like if somebody came to you and said, hey, did you say Jesus is in town? Yeah, he just flew spirit from Cleveland. That's the way that they heard this in their brain. Like, Cleveland, can any, Jesus came from Cleveland. That's what you're trying to tell me. And so he has this moment. Um, if you're from Cleveland, I'm sorry. Um, sorry that you're from Cleveland. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. He didn't expect Jesus to look or to come from where he thought he would come from. So I want to ask you this question. The first question we need to ask is what am I looking for when I approach Jesus? The second one is this, where are you looking for it? Where are you looking for salvation? Where are you looking for God? Because we live in a culture right now where that answer kind of sways from day to day, right? Like today, maybe my feelings are God. And then maybe tomorrow my sexuality will be God. And then maybe a week from now it will be whatever the news that says is the most important thing. That will be God in my life. But have you looked for Jesus? Is that where you thought Jesus would come from? Or did you think that what you're looking for could be found at the bottom of a bottle instead? Or in a relationship? Or in a promotion? Or one day when your kids move out of the house, then maybe your marriage will be restored. Or do you think, maybe Jesus wants me to follow him and then everything else will fall into place? I love Philip's response to Nathaniel's objections. He's like, Is, really, that's the guy? You mean to tell me that? But look at what Philip says. He says, come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself. He doesn't try to like, promote anything. He doesn't try to make excuses. He's like, oh man, but remember we got those tacos from Nazareth at one time? Like Nazareth has some good, he doesn't do any of that. (laughs) He says, come and see for yourself. 
Philip knew that he didn't have to justify Jesus, that if Nathaniel would just spend some time with Jesus himself, then he would speak loudly and clearly. Now, the last part of this passage that I want to look at, it's a little bit confusing. I'll give you that. And I'm going to explain it in a pretty roundabout way. So I want you to, to just stick with me for just a minute here. Um, but we're going to look at John 1, 47 through 50. This is what happens uh, when they go to find Jesus. It says, as they approach Jesus, he said, now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Now, Nathaniel's walking up to Jesus and he's confused, Right? Because Nathaniel's walking to Jesus, and Jesus goes, that's a good man right there. And I love his response. He's not like, oh, no, I'm not a good man. Nathaniel goes, how do you know about me? <laughs> that's, I love that so much. That's just such a human thing. He's like, man, this guy does know me better than I thought, right? He goes, how do you know about me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked him, do you believe this because I told you I had seen you under a fig tree? Which is a legitimate question to ask. That's a weird thing to tell somebody, right? As far as Nathaniel knows, this is their first time ever meeting each other, ever having an interaction with each other. And Jesus is like, I know you're a good guy because I saw you sitting under a tree. What does that mean? A few years ago, I went down a rabbit trail of, of trying to figure that out. And um, it came at the perfect time. I think God in his grace, he, he sent me down this rabbit trail just as I needed it. Um, in 2017, I was interning at a church in California, and there was a class that I was sitting in. And uh, the woman that was teaching the class, she goes, uh, how many people in here believe God is good? So it's a group of about 30, like, late teens, early 20s, you know. We're, we're sitting in this room. It's about 30 of us. Uh, and with as much eagerness as you would expect, all of our hands go up. And we hold it there pretty confidently. Some people don't even think twice about it. It's a reflex, right? Some of them are, like, still typing on their keyboards and, you know, hands are up. And then the next question she asked, it rocked me to my core. She goes, Why? My hand was up, and I remember it slowly started coming down. And then other people's hands started going down. And eventually a few more popped up, but mine didn't, because I realized in that moment, I'm like, man, I've just always been told God was good, but I never experienced that goodness for myself. Like, how do, like what's the thing I can point to that tells me God is good? Or do I just know that because of what I heard from everybody else forever? Because I've grown up in church my entire life. And this simple question of why uh, sent me down this spiral, man. Like my faith started crumbling because the church that I was at at the time, well, they have painted a different depiction of Jesus than the church that I grew up in. And so now I go, well, how do I know anything is true about God? Like I've had all these different things put into my brain over the years and now I've just... I've formulated a version of Jesus that just looks like the depiction that was handed to me, and I realized how narrow in that moment my faith was. So I go back to my apartment that night, and I remember I am angry, like upset. Uh, like I go to God, and I'm like, God, how do I know that anything about you is true? How do I know that this whole thing isn't fake? How do I know that I didn't make this up? Like, God, I moved from Louisiana to California to pursue following you, and I don't even know if it's legit. Like, I, So if you're in here, if you're watching, and you're one of my brothers and sisters who are going through kind of this phase of deconstruction, let me tell you something. Sometimes it's healthy to rip down to the studs of your faith so that God can build up something stronger. That's okay. 
because the beauty is, is that he meets you in that moment. So I had this time where I said, you know what, I don't want to just assume what God is like anymore. I want to let him speak loudly and clearly for himself. So I grabbed my Bible, which is the word of God. And um, oftentimes when people are new to the faith and they're like, hey, where do I start? People will say, start in John. It, it tells you the story of Jesus. It includes a lot of teaching of Jesus. It's a pretty uh, foundational book that you can start in. And so that's what I did. I, I flipped over to John and a few verses in, I reached this weird line about a fig tree. I said, God, what is that? What does that even mean? And right around that time, a worship song came on uh, from a band named House Fires. And uh, the song is really simple. It's it's called See Your Face. And the lyrics of it say, I want to see your face. I want to know your heart. I want to walk with you every day of my life, God. And I remember that just became my prayer. I'm like, I don't want to be confused. God, if you want me to know who you are, show me. I meant that so much, I actually wrote it here in the front of my Bible. I want to see your face. I want to know your heart. I want to walk with you every single day of my life, God. I never want to open this book again just to say I opened it. I don't want to do another boring devotional. I don't want to read anything and then let it go in one ear and out the other, God. I want to know you. So then I start thinking about this fig tree and and I start looking it up. And what I realized was uh, in Jewish culture, usually on someone's property, they would have a fig tree like in their backyard somewhere. And they would go to this fig tree and they would sit under it. And it's kind of where they would have their quiet time. It's, it's where they would be alone with God. They would pray. There was no one else around. Nobody could see them. They're just talking to open air and hoping somebody can hear them on the other end. And Jesus told Nathaniel, that secret place that nobody else is supposed to know about, I was there with you. And Nathaniel knew in that moment, you're him. You're the God I've been praying to. You're the one, the one I yelled at the other day. Like you're, you know the deepest, darkest, most despicable parts of my heart. God, you were there. You know about everything in me. And he was overwhelmed with this emotion that I became overwhelmed with that night, y'all. Tears came flowing down my face because I realized I opened my Bible that night looking for God. And God said, no, nah, man, I've been looking for you the whole time. And I've been here. When you were in your apartment crying, wondering, God, is it all true? Is it real? When you were mad at me, when you were asking questions, I was there with you. And I want to ask you, where is your fig tree? Because Jesus is looking for you there. Where's that place? Maybe it's a physical place. Maybe it's a prayer closet in your house. Or maybe it's somewhere that uh, you go and you say, this is where I do my quiet time. It might be a coffee shop or something like that. But maybe it's somewhere deep in your heart. Like that thing that you don't let anybody else know about. Those frustrations with God that you never voice out loud because that's not what a good Christian does. Maybe it's right here. Maybe you showed up here today because this is the last ditch effort saying, God, I'm looking for something. And I don't know if it's you. Well, good news, Jesus is looking for you too. And he meets us under our fig tree. And he cares about you and he knows you better than you know yourself. It's in that place where we experience intimacy with God. And so I want to ask you, do you have that place? Do you have that way that you reach out to connect with God so that not only can you know him better, but you allow him to know you as well? Before I get out of here, I want to give you three 
really practical ways that you can grow in your intimacy with God. The first one is this. Uh, Don't settle for the idea of God. Get to know the heart of God. And we do this through his word and through prayer. Listen, there's a lot of biblical concepts that we can wrap our head around. There's a whole bunch more that we can't wrap our head around. And we try really, 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 really hard. And we can do all of that and still miss the heart of God. When you read your Bible, don't just do it so that you can check something off of the list. Do it because you want God to reveal who he is and to point out the things in you that are broken. The second half of this is to pray. And I know what you're probably thinking, like, oh, really, Aaron? I came here tonight so you could tell me to read my Bible and pray. (laughs) What are you going to do next? Tell me to eat my vegetables? Yeah, you know why? Because the truth doesn't change. God has given us these gifts so that we can have communion and community with him. But it's all of our approach to it. After that night in my apartment, you know what changed? Church services didn't get more exciting. Music didn't get better. Fog machines didn't get ear. (laughs) My heart showed up. And I said, God, I want you to do work. I said, instead of showing up and saying, give me, I said, Rabbi, teach me. And he started doing that through prayer, through my Bible. These are ways that we have direct access to God. This is how I want you to know if those times are being fruitful or not. This is a question that I think you can ask yourself uh, as you uh, read your Bible and as you pray. If you, as you ask, man, do I just, do I know God or do I know things about God? Ask yourself this question. Does my time in prayer and in the word actually affect the way I live? Does it actually affect the way you live? Or <laughs> do you just read it? Like you're scrolling through Instagram. Is it the same mentality? When you pray, are you just, are you trying to change God? (laughs) Or is it a place where you allow him to change you? That's what intimacy looks like. The second thing is we need to spend time in awe of God. We call this worship. Now listen, we believe that worship is much more than just what we do in here when we sing songs, but it is a good practice because it's a moment for us to detach and stop thinking about ourselves and actually start thinking about him. I had a moment, I was standing right behind that curtain a few minutes ago, and I'm getting ready to come up on stage, and I'm back there, Jesus, we love you, oh, how we love you. And I realized, I'm like, I'm not in this moment. I was thinking about Chinese's. I was thinking about what I was going to say when I came out here, but my lips were doing all the work. And I said, no, stop. Jesus, I love you. Oh, how I love you. You are the one thing that my heart desires. I want you to take a moment, make it a normal practice, a normal rhythm to reflect on the goodness and greatness of God. Just like shut everything out and think about him for a minute. You know when, I, it's so funny because it works so much like a human relationship. You know when I appreciate my wife the most? Her birthday and holidays. Because you know what happens? I go to Target, 
usually a little bit too late. <laughs> I'll go like on February 14th looking for a Valentine's Day card. And uh, the shelves are empty, and so I start picking through whatever they have left. And I'm like, ah, this one's okay, but it doesn't really sum up how I feel. And so I put that one back, and I go, oh, that one's cute. It's got a dog on the front, but it doesn't really, you know. And after going through a couple of them, I say, you know what? I'm just going to get a blank card. And I sit down, and as I reflect and think about my wife, man, the words just start coming out. And I find myself getting overwhelmed, and there's tears coming out of my eyes. Why? Because I'm taking time to think. I'm not letting someone else give me the words to say. I'm worshiping God from what's inside of my heart. It works the same way. Get a blank sheet of paper when you go home and just start writing out all the ways you're thinking. You're thankful for God. And then finally... The third way to grow in intimacy with God is live like Jesus lived. Author uh, John Mark Comer, he puts it this way. He says, if you want the life that Jesus had, you have to do the things Jesus did. And you know the one thing that marks Jesus' life so well? It was the intimacy that he had with the Father. So I just want to encourage you. If you want to live like Jesus lived, start looking at his life and just start doing those things. Maybe you serve others the way that Jesus has served us. Maybe you pray for others the way that Jesus prays for us. Maybe you spend time alone with the Father, fasting, praying, trusting, doing the things that Jesus did to build that type of intimacy. If I wanted to be a, a professional athlete, if I want to be like LeBron James, you know what I have to do? I have to take on his health regimen to start working out the way he does. Got to start putting up the number of shots that he puts up every week. We apply that to almost every other aspect of our lives except for our relationship with Jesus. Like we just think, oh, because I came to church on one Sunday, then everything's going to be just fine. No, we have to follow in the footsteps of our teacher. I know for some of us this all sounds great. Some of us want that. Some of us don't. I realize that. Because you don't even have a picture of what that could look like in your mind. Before we leave here, I want to I give you a picture. And I actually want us to, to pray this together. So I'll kind of walk us through this. Let me, let me read it for you first. This is a quote from a guy named Mike Iaconelli in his book called Dangerous Wonder. I love this so much. He says, I want a lifetime of holy moments. Every day, I want to be in dangerous proximity to Jesus. I long for a life that explodes with meaning and is filled with adventure, wonder, risk, and danger. I long for a faith that is gloriously treacherous. I want to be with Jesus not knowing whether to cry or laugh. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe you have. Maybe you haven't. But my prayer for you is that the Spirit would do something inside of your heart that you say, man, this, this is what I want. I want to live a life like the disciples. Do you think they ever got a good eight hours of sleep after following Jesus? <laughs> like, yo, he just raised that dude from the dead. That's crazy. Like, <laughs> when was the last time you laid your head on the pillow and said, man, God, what you did today, that was, I can't even wrap my mind around. That was amazing. That's the type of intimacy that I want for you to have with the Father. So, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to start off a prayer with those words, and I just want you to repeat after me. If that is your prayer, every eye closed, every head bowed, 
If that's your prayer, I just want you to repeat these words after me. I want a lifetime of holy moments. Every day, I want to be in dangerous proximity to Jesus. I long for a life that explodes with meaning and is filled with adventure, wonder, risk, and danger. I long for a faith that is gloriously treacherous. I want to be with Jesus, not knowing whether to cry or laugh. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you so much for our time together tonight. Lord, we don't want to be a group of people that just go through the motions. We don't want to be the people who are just checking off a list, who are trying to be whatever image of a good Christian was depicted to us. God, we don't want to be good Christians. We want to be like Jesus. Father, let that be the target and the goal of our lives. Let us stop comparing ourselves to so-and-so. Let us stop looking at people on platforms. Let us stop looking at uh, whoever is next to us in life and thinking, man, if I could just be more like them, I'll be fine. No, God, let us put that to the side and help us to be more like Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God. Because, God, the more that we look like Jesus, the more we fulfill our God-given purposes to reflect you to everybody around us. So, Lord, that is my prayer tonight. Mold us into the image of your son. God, I want to pray for anybody here who says, man, I've tried those things. I've read my Bible till I'm blue in the face. I've prayed, I've cried, and I feel like I don't hear anything back. I serve. I try to live like Jesus, but my faith just feels weak. God, I pray that you would just breathe new life, that your Holy Spirit would breathe new life into those, uh, those hearts. Father, help us to know you and to be known by you. Holy Spirit, have your ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.